0: We are continuing this morning in our sermon series on the Acts of the Apostles as we look at the earliest days of the Christian Church. Our text this morning is from Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through chapter 5, verse 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property with his wife's knowledge. He kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter said, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God." Now, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died and great fear seized all who heard of it. The young men came and wrapped up his body, then carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. And Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and died. When the young men came in, they found her dead. So they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these things." This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen and reigning Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The church in Jerusalem was exploding. The apostles were preaching about Jesus and his resurrection with boldness and with power. Miracles were taking place. People were believing in the good news and flocking to join this new family of faith. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and great grace was upon them all as the believers were all united together as one heart and soul. In fact, they were so led by the gracious power of the Holy Spirit that the text tells us that no one considered any of their possessions their own, but they shared everything that they had. Some people even voluntarily sold property that they owned and gave the money to the apostles to help care for those in need so that there was not a needy person among them. One particularly noteworthy example of this radical generosity and freedom in giving was a man named Joseph who was a Levite from Cyprus. Joseph sold what must have been a very valuable piece of land and brought all the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And this extraordinary act of of selflessness and unity had such an electrifying impact on the early church that they gave him a new name. Barnabas, which Luke tells us meant son of encouragement. And that's what generosity does, after all. It encourages those who are in need that they have not been forgotten and that someone cares about them. But it also gives courage to those who have been blessed with resources that they too might trust God enough to risk being generous. Now, there was a a certain couple among the believers in Jerusalem named Ananias and Sapphira. Well, when they saw what Joseph had done and the way everyone responded to it, they decided that they wanted to get in on the action. So they sold a piece of property they owned in order to give the money to the apostles. But once all of that money was in their hands, well, their spirit of generosity began to wane i mean it had certainly sounded like a good idea being being generous and and sharing and all but you know they did have college tuition to think about and and retirement was approaching and now that they thought about it the house certainly could use another paint job and and let's not forget about disney world I mean, sure there were needy people out there and the church needed their support, but but what about their needs and their comfort? What about their security? They needed to make sure they took care of themselves first. And yet, they still wanted to be recognized for their generosity and selflessness. And so they came up with a plan. They would give some of the money to the apostles and keep the rest for themselves, pretending as if they had actually given them the whole thing. But after all, who would know? So as Ananias was making his way into town with the money, I can imagine that he began talking to himself about how everyone was going to respond to his generous gift. Just look at the fuss everyone's making over that annoying Joseph. They're all calling him Barnabas now. Son of encouragement, son of encouragement. Hate that guy. Just wait till they see what I give them. They'll all be calling me son of generosity, son of munificence, son of magnanimity. And it was with visions of cheering crowds dancing before his eyes, that Ananias came in and laid the money with its phony sales receipt at the apostles' feet. But Ananias didn't get quite the reaction he was anticipating. For when Peter saw the money, he said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so corrupted your heart that you could lie to the Holy Spirit? He said. Didn't the property belong to you? And it, it wasn't the money at your disposal? You could have done anything you wanted with it. What made you think to pull such a stunt? You're not lying to us, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he immediately fell dead at Peter's feet. And the young men came and, and took his body, carried it outside, and buried it. Three hours later, his wife Sapphira shows up not knowing what had happened. I suspect that when Ananias had not come right home, she figured that everyone must have been so blown away by his generous gift that they decided to throw a party in his honor. And so she came so that she could join in and get her own share of the accolades and perhaps a new name of her own as well. But when Peter asked her if this was the amount of money they had received for the sale of their property, she said, yep, that's exactly how much we sold it for. And I'm sure with a deep sigh, Peter said, how could you conspire together to put the Holy Spirit to the test? These men have just finished carrying out your husband, and now you're about to join him and then she too fell over dead at Peter's feet." A bit harsh of Peter, wouldn't you say? I guess there's nothing like speaking the truth in love. I'm guessing Peter must have missed a class in seminary on pastoral care. But notice, Peter did give Sapphira a chance to come clean and, and tell the truth. After all, this was the body of Christ who himself is the truth. And Peter was not going to stand for any deceit because deceit always destroys unity, which was Jesus' great prayer for his followers. Of course, in reality, the only ones Ananias and Sapphira were deceiving were, were themselves because they thought that they could secure their own lives by stashing away a little extra cash. And Jesus did say that those who try to make their lives secure will lose them. We just didn't think he meant it quite so literally. And yet, lose them they did. You know, I think it's interesting that Ananias and Sapphira both died At the apostles' feet. Where they had first laid down only a portion of the money, they each now laid down their entire lives. Of course, that's what God had really wanted all along, their whole selves. Only God didn't want them dead. God wanted them alive as living sacrifices, putting their trust in God alone rather than in their money or any other dead idol. Notice, the text doesn't tell us that God killed them. It doesn't even say that Peter killed them. Rather, Peter simply exposed the truth that in their futile attempts to secure their own lives by trusting in something other than the living God, they were already dead in spirit, because we always become like the thing we worship. When we worship the living God revealed in Jesus Christ, we become more like Him. We become more generous, more free, more alive. But when we worship or serve or put our trust in anything else, we become more self-centered, more enslaved, more dead. When Peter spoke, what was already spiritually true on the inside simply became physical reality on the outside as well, the scary thing is, we're really not so different from Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, we struggle with the same fears and insecurities and temptations, don't we? As Will Willimon writes, there is something quite natural about the lies of Ananias and Sapphira. For we all know the way that we rationalize and excuse our own covetousness and acquisitiveness and greed. Oh, I'm not really all that well off, we say. I have all I can do just to make ends meet. I work hard for this and deserve it. Willeman says that our lies are a correlate of our materialism. For both our materialism and our self-deceit are our attempts to deal with our human insecurity by taking matters into our own hands. Martin Luther once called security the ultimate idol. And we have shown time and again that we are willing to exchange anything. Our family, our health, our church, the truth for a taste of security. But as Jesus said, trying to secure our own lives only leads to death. And you can be dead inside a long, long time before the outside catches up. But Jesus Christ came that we might be fully alive And there's a reason when those first disciples were filled with his spirit, the the response was a, a chain reaction of radical generosity. They were just so overwhelmed with gratitude for the new life they had been given, they just couldn't help themselves. Nobody demanded that they give a certain amount or anything at all. It was all joyfully and freely given because they were growing more into the image of the Savior they worshiped. Be very sure, there is no legalistic giving in the church. If you're putting money in the offering plate or, or making a pledge because you think that you have to or that God won't bless you if you don't, we are happy to have your money. And we will make good use of it. But you're missing the point. The church is not a social club with membership dues or a a charity for well-to-do people to ease their conscience by making a donation. No, the church is the body of Christ, which is God's mission in this world. A world that He so loved that He gave. He gave. He gave the greatest gift that He had to give. His only Son. And if you're not giving back to him out of gratitude, then again, you're missing the point. And if you're not filled with gratitude for what God is doing in your life, then you're not paying attention. That's what's so sad about Ananias. He didn't even pay attention to his own name. You see, in its Hebrew form, Ananias means God has graciously granted. It means that everything we have is a a gift of God's grace. If only Ananias had believed in his own name, then maybe he might have responded like Joseph did, as someone whose trust is in the Lord, and who knows that everything we have already belongs to God. And this Freedom to give completely transformed Joseph's whole life. In fact, he was so changed by it that they had to give him a whole new name. Barnabas, son of encouragement. Because that's what giving does, after all. It changes us more into the image of Jesus. And it changes those around us as well. in my first church in Indianapolis. An older couple came up to me one Sunday after worship with a gleam in their eyes, said there's something they wanted to share with me. They were just so excited to let somebody know that for the first time in their lives, they were going to be pledging a tithe, 10% of their income. I mean, you should have seen the joy that was radiating from their faces. It was incredible. You know, I, I drove home that day from church on cloud nine, not because of how much money they were going to be giving to the church. I didn't even know, but because they had become Barnabas, a son and a daughter of encouragement. And I tell you, I wanted to fill out my own pledge card right then and there. Because joyful generosity is not only life-changing, it's contagious. Over the next few weeks, we will all have the opportunity to fill out our own pledge cards for the year 2024. Bring them and lay them at the Savior's feet. Some of you may have already received yours in the mail. If not, it will be coming soon. And I hope that you will all be praying about what God is inviting you, challenging you to give. And the truth is, we need everyone's help if we're gonna be able to continue and grow our ministries here at IPC and hang on to our incredible staff. But as the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, each of you must give as you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's what we were created for. But we are only lying to the Holy Spirit and deceiving ourselves if we claim that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, when in reality, our ultimate trust is in our bank account. And I can think of no better way to free ourselves from the chains of materialism and idolatry than to give back to God a tithe, 10% of our income. I mean, it's really his anyways. But in giving it back to God, we demonstrate that we have been paying attention to the fact that God has graciously granted. Now, I realize some of you might not be quite ready to tithe yet. It can be scary, I know. It was scary when Rebecca and I first started tithing. But why not stretch your faith and increase your pledge? Get a little closer to a tithe. If you gave two percent last year, try three percent this year. If you gave six percent last year, try eight. But don't do it because you have to. Do it because you want to, because it's what comes naturally when the spirit of the risen Christ is within you. You were created in Jesus Christ to be givers. Do not let a tumultuous world and an uncertain economy take away from you the chance to become a son or a daughter of encouragement by trusting God enough to risk being generous. Amen.